Good evening to all you faithful midweek, hardcore, loving the Old Testament Bible believer studiers. Way to go. Way to go. I love it. I'm so glad that you're here and, and uh, we're going to jump into our study. Let me just really quick say that uh, this weekend uh, the kids are going to go away with Pastor Daniel to winter camp, so I wanted to just take a moment to pray for them and that whole endeavor. Um, it's, it's so important. I remember when I was, I grew up in a church, in the church, and I used to go to camp. Our camp was uh, uh, Camp Cedar Crest, which is actually adjacent to the big Calvary camp up there in Green Valley Lake. And uh, Chuck Smith, when he was a young man, used to go up to Cedar Crest. And uh, the history there, it's a four-square camp, but the history there, we went there as a Nazarene church. But different churches went up there. Camp is a really great experience um, when you're away in a different environment, especially for junior and senior high school. So this could be a, a really, really pivotal point for some of the youth this weekend. And so we need to pray for Pastor Daniel and uh, uh, Desiree, as well as the kids and the teaching, and just the Holy Spirit would really move in their hearts and lives. So let's do that before we begin our Bible study tonight. Father... We come to you this evening fully aware of the ministry that you desire to do in our lives. As we surrender to you, you, by your Holy Spirit, work in us and through us. And from a very early age, I remember you speaking to me and leading me, giving me a hunger for your word and to serve. And, and we pray for Pastor Daniel as he goes away this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and, and Sunday morning, as they're away at camp. And it'll be cold. It's going to be snowy. Um, they'll have a great time, Lord, but more importantly, won't you speak to them? Won't you draw them to yourself, Lord? Call a new generation of committed Christians to the church in the future and pastors and, and uh, servants of all kinds, men and women, deacons, serving. Put within their heart, Lord, just a wonderful, wonderful unity, a love for one another. And in such a difficult time when boys and girls and all the things that are going on as they grow, give them unity and purpose and purity. And give Pastor Daniel wisdom, Lord, as he teaches, as he leads. Lord, we're thankful that we have a church that has a youth pastor that loves your word and can instill and impart that truth to the youth of our fellowship. And so we pray your hand a blessing on that. And tonight, Lord, as we come now to Numbers chapter 6, open our eyes. Speak to us, Lord, as we look at these wonderful Old Testament books and and here at the beginning of our study in Numbers, Lord, I pray that you would just reveal yourself to us through the word. We're your servants, and we yield our hearts and minds to you now. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Open your Bible there to, to uh, Numbers chapter 6. The first five chapters, as you'll recall, are, are chapters where God is numbering, thus the name. He's numbering. He began numbering the fighting men of the two and a half million Hebrews that he has delivered from the bondage of Egypt, from this nation will come the Messiah. This is a very important people. This, these are the people that carry forth the no Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant that through Abraham and his seed, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, the children of Israel, here they are. And they're, they're coming into the, they're going to be led into the promised land by God. It's a miraculous story. So God is organizing them, as I've said, and he's numbered the men. And then he, he numbered the one tribe that wasn't numbered, the Levites. They're, they were the people that God had chosen specifically to serve him in the tabernacle, this movable sanctuary, this large, quite large structure. It's going to take thousands of them to pack it up, tear it down, 
move it, set it up for the, for the sole purpose of God wanting to be in the midst of his people and lead them into the promised land. We come to chapter 5 and 6, and they're kind of interesting because chapter 5 is about uh, setting yourself apart, sanctifying yourself. What do the rest of the people do while the men are fighting and while the men, Levites, are serving and, and carrying the tabernacle? Well, we're to sanctify themselves. And now we come down to kind of, a, kind of this one personal, personal bit of sanctification or uh, setting yourself apart for God's service. It's called the Nazarite vow. And that's what I've entitled this very fascinating portion of, of Scripture. You've heard of a Nazarite uh, before, but God is organizing his people, calling them to holiness, to separation from everything else and, and, and holy. And now he, it's kind of funneled right down to the individual person. And he gives, this is a beautiful thing about the Nazarite vow, he gives the individual the choice to make the vow and go seriously deeper and, and further up and further in and closer to the Lord. And, and there's outward signs that everyone else would know, oh, that guy's or that gal is a serious Nazarite. Yeah, I said gal. That's the cool thing about this. Because we've looked at men fighting, men serving Levites. Now we're going to see how women, women could actually take this Nazarite vow. A woman could make the vow and set herself apart to serve the Lord. Although there aren't a lot of examples in the Bible, I'll point out one as we go through our study. Um, God is showing us how important it is for us. In the New Testament church, a New Testament believer, you and I as a born-again believer, we have chosen to follow Christ. Just like these people would choose to make a serious commitment and a Nazarite vow. We do that in the New Testament church. We choose to serve, to know Christ. Our lives are changed. We're radically, we're born again. And then we walk a, a, a wilderness path, if you will, through this wicked world. As God prepares us for battles. We go through battle after battle. It could be financial, could be relational, but we go through battles in our life, and he's leading us where? He's leading us somewhere. We're going to be led somewhere. Where is that? To heaven, to the promised land. That's where we're going. Just like these people, the, the parallel to the New Testament believer, the, the, the Christian tonight, and these are uncanny, but tonight we get this Nazarite vow, the individual making a choice to do more for the Lord. It's called the vow of the Nazarite, which is a really, really a vow to purity. There's three elements of it. We'll, again, look at those things. I, probably the most imp impressive Nazarites that we read about in the Bible, Samson, you all know that. Paul took a vow of the Nazarite for a short time. And we read in Acts, I think it's 18 or so, he cuts his hair before he gets to Jerusalem. So he hasn't cut his hair, which is the Nazarite. They wouldn't cut their hair. And then he cuts his hair when he comes to Jerusalem. And, and, and everyone would have known. Bald Paul walks in there. He has made a Nazarite vow, and he's gone to the temple. He's cut his hair, and, and everybody would have known. So Paul is another great example of someone that took the vow of the Nazarite. Now, vows were important. Think about a vow real quick. Um, a vow to God means the person that's making the vow is, is really stepping out to do something more than the rest of maybe the congregation. The, making a vow to, the God, you're, to God, you're making a personal sacrifice. You're making a choice to go further in your commitment with God. And I hope that each and every one of us would consider that as we're listening to this study tonight. We're going to look at the Nazarite, but there is application for the New Testament believer as well. Notice in verse 1, we're going to read the first uh, eight verses or so. Notice in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them. So this is God, and he's saying, This is what I want you to do. This is, this, this is a command from the Lord. Uh, understand that. When either a man or a woman, did you, did you catch that? 
either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of the Nazarite, and then parenthesis here, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation during the vow, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, from seed to skin. Verse 5, all the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father or mother or brother or sister when they die, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. Now, this word that you're reading in the English, Nazarite, comes from a Hebrew word, Nazar. Uh, there's several different words. There's the noun and the verb version. This is Nazar. It means to be uh, consecrated. It means to be a devoted. You could say a, a devotee. And so these are devoted people. They're consecrated. They're stepping up into a new level of of walking with the Lord in their relationship with God, the idea would be akin to holiness. They're, they're separating themselves from certain things, and, and they're devoted to the Lord. They're committed to God. Uh, Joseph was a Nazarite. And the word Nazar is used in this verse. Let me show you this verse behind I mean, remember, Joseph was different than his brothers, remember? Some of his brothers actually wanted to kill him. The other ones didn't want to kill him, so they threw him in a hole, sold him into slavery, and then lied about him to their dad. Remember, he, Joseph, he, he was the one that, that his father loved. He was the one that got the coat, special coat, and his brothers were jealous, but they were evil. Joseph was a little different than them. He was really devoted this verse behind me, Genesis 49, the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of his head of him who was Nazar or separate from his brothers. He was separate from his brothers. That, that's that word there, the Nazarite or the vow of the Nazarite was a vow that was made that would set someone apart uh, specifically and separate or devoted to God. And they were saying, God, here I am. Use me. Do what you want. I'm going to separate myself from everything else. I'm devoted to you, whatever you want me to do. That's, that's the vow of the Nazarite. Now, let me break this down because this is really fascinating. Uh, it begins with the vow of dedication, verse 1 and 2. Notice he says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them. So God is giving commands to who? Moses, right? Moses is the go-between between God and the people. So God speaks to Moses, and he says to Moses, he says, I want you to go and tell all of the children, the whole nation, not just the men that are fighting, not just the Levites that are serving in the tabernacle, but all of the people, go tell them when either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord. So the call goes out by God. Anyone can do this. Anybody is, that wants to be committed can be committed. Doesn't it sound so wonderfully familiar to what Jesus says? He makes this call that, that if anyone wants to, they can come unto me. Drink from the water of life freely. He makes the call. That's really what this is in the Old Testament. God is saying anyone that wants to consecrate or be separate, either man or woman. Again, in the Hebrew camp, the, the numbers we've been counting so far, you, you were either born 
a man and you were used or you're born a woman and weren't even counted. But here we see that, that a man or a woman who wanted to voluntarily commit not a whole lifetime, but for a period of time. And the period of time was really up to the individual. It could be a week. It could be months. In some case, it could be lifetime service. Like I said, the, the vow was for anyone. And uh, the, that word, to dedicate, Nazar, to dedicate, could be translated consecration, separation, dedication, or to abstain to abstain from something so that you can really focus on the Lord. Now think about that for a moment. Let me just pause here. Is there something in your life, as there is often in mine, that I need to really stop and pause so that I can really devote myself to that prayer need, to that spiritual growth, to that loved one that maybe needs prayer, commitment, encouragement? Is there something that you need to stop from so that you can consecrate yourself to the Lord? That's really how we apply the scriptures. This is a great opportunity to take the Bible and apply it uh, in that way. But the Nazarite, Nazarite vow was not just a general vow, like, like um, a woman is really dedicated to her family. It's not that kind of a vow. Or a man saying, or saying something about, you know, your boss at work. Man, he's so committed. He's dedicated. He's here 24-7. That's really not what we're talking about when we talk about the Nazarite vow because this separation was not just something we did within the family. It was something specifically that we did for the Lord. Notice verse 2, to separate himself to the Lord. So it could be a brief time, could be a lifetime, but you're separating yourself to serve the Lord. Samson is probably the best-known Nazarite. But again, like I've said, Paul made the Nazarite vow for a short time, short period of time. During one of his missionary trips, he became a Nazarite for a short time to bring the money and dedication back to those poor, starving Christians there in Jerusalem. And so we have these different examples of part-time Nazarites. But then we have one great example in the New Testament. Full-timer. He was in the desert. He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts and honey. He never cut his hair. Who was that? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. He had taken the vow. He separated himself from everything to serve the Lord. That was his calling. That was his duty. That's what he did. So he separated himself to do that. Now, the only woman in the Bible who took a vow was Samson's mother, Manoah's wife. Her name isn't mentioned, but you can read about her. There aren't really any other descriptions of, of uh, women who had taken the vow in their life. It just doesn't really show up in the Bible. But God made it very clear that a woman could take this vow and consecrate herself to do uh, in some kind of service for the Lord. In the New Testament, the Bible uh, gives different gifts. Those gifts are uh, for men and for women to serve in the church. The word is deacon or it's deaconess. Women can serve in that capacity in, in the church, serving just like men serve in different capacities. So we have that in the Old Testament. We also have that in the New Testament. Now, Beginning in verse 3, God gives these conditions. We've already read them, the, the um, three. Number one, no al alcoholic drink. He shall separate, verse 3, himself from wine or similar drink. Verse 4, all the days of his separation. So during the time you took this vow, you weren't to drink any drink at all, that anything produced from the grapevine, from seed to skin. The Nazarite was forbidden to eat, to drink anything that was was used, the vine was always used for one purpose, that was to make wine or a drink that was fermentable, used for medicine, often in the Bible, used to lighten the heart of someone that was burdened in Proverbs. But the idea here is, is abstinence for the Nazarite 
And I, I love the fact uh, that you had to be full on committed. A Nazarite had to, to commit more than just uh, a word. He had to live it out. And, and so uh, not drinking wine, not eating a grape or a raisin. I thought about grape nuts when I was doing the study. <laughs> Nothing that had to do with grape. They couldn't eat it because that, they would break their vow and have to begin all over again. They have to shave their head and go through the process. What we're going to see at the end of the study here and start over again. So they weren't allowed to drink. Now, the scriptures, I, I'm just going to take a moment to talk about alcohol and the Christian, but the scriptures do not prevent uh, anyone from drinking or prohibit anyone from drinking alcohol. But when you read the Old Testament and you look at the scriptures in the Old Testament, it's very clear. God said that wine or strong drink was never to be used by, remember, kings or prophets. Why? Because those are the people that were making big decisions and leading the nation. And if they were drinking, they're going to lead somebody astray. Why? Because they're under the influence of what? Rather than the Holy Spirit, they're under the influence of that alcohol. So from the beginning, when you read the Bible, the Bible's very clear. You'll see usage of wine in the Bible, but you see abuses of wine in the Bible. And every time, it's a sin, the abuse of Wine. So you need to be careful, Christians. I know everybody has a different view on that. I, my view is that I don't touch it. That's just my personal view. I've never done it. I don't want to do it. I've heard stories from you guys about what happens when you do it, the lampshade thing and all that. I'm not interested in that. I want to be under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. I want to be committed to the Lord. I, this world's wicked enough. Why do I want to put something in my body that makes me sin? But from the Old Testament to the New, lots of examples. Here's, here's the one example in the Old Testament. I could give you a bunch, but here's one from Proverbs. It's not for kings, O Lemuel, it's not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Again, there's lots of examples in the Bible for the negative effects of alcohol and intoxication. Remember Noah? I mean, we love Noah. I love the story of Noah. When we studied the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 9, Noah obeys God, and, and he takes a hundred and so odd years to build the ark, and, and then God floods the earth and wipes out all the living, except for those that were protected in the ark. The ark settles. The water subsides. Noah gets off the ark, and remember the first thing that he does. Well, he plants a vineyard. Why did he do that? And then, not only does he plant a vineyard, the next thing he does is he gets drunk, goes naked into his tent, he's uncovered, and his kids see him, and it causes them to sin. Remember? There are a lot of examples in the Bible. I'm just saying, Christians, be careful. Be careful. Yes, there is no prohibition to drinking. But pastor, you know, Paul told Timothy to take a little wine. Medicine, medicine, context, remember context. So every night, you know, you get your glass and you fill it up, and I'm like Timothy, you know. No, I mean, come on. And in the Old Testament, when you read that Proverbs 30, you'll find out that wine was to be given to someone that was so depressed and so despondent just to lighten their load, lighten their depression. Medicine, that's the way it was used, and you'll see that as you read the Bible. The sons of Aaron, we read about this in Leviticus a few uh, months back when we were studying on Sunday night Leviticus. The sons, of his first two born sons, Aaron's sons, Nahab and Abihu, remember those guys? They offered strange fire to the Lord. And the Bible indicates that they were actually drunk. They were in a drunken binge. They were trying to be like Uncle Aaron or Uncle, like their dad Aaron and Uncle Moses, calling fire down. Let's call fire down. And they got drunk and they called fire down. They were consumed by the fire of God. God wiped them out. God killed them. Alcohol. 
not a good thing to play around with. So priests were to abstain from alcohol. Kings were to abstain. The Bible makes that clear. In the New Testament, Paul says, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Because you can easily be overwhelmed if you drink too much wine. Again, the Bible doesn't preach total abstinence. That's who I am. I'm not putting a trip on anybody here. I would just say pray. Pray and seek the Lord and obey God when it comes to that. Be very careful with that. So the Nazarite, no alcoholic beverage. Number two, the second condition, no haircut. Look at verse five. All the days of the vow of separation, no razor shall come on his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow. So as soon as he made this vow, he lets his hair grow. She lets her hair grow. You have to, you can't cut your hair. So hair would grow during the time of the vow. Like I mentioned, Paul in the book of Acts. Again, think about this for a moment. Everybody in your social group, everyone in your family would know that you had just made a vow of the Nazarite. Why? Because your hair's growing. You know, you used to cut it a little bit. Mom says, hey, your hair's growing, son. Yeah, but I've committed myself to the Lord. Hey, that's a really good thing. Or the public around you would know. You, you go to a party, and everybody's drinking, but you're not drinking, and your hair's getting longer. Everybody in this culture would have known exactly. Remember, Moses was to tell everyone, here, anybody can do this. Anybody can consecrate themselves or dedicate themselves for me or to me as God and serve me as God. And so they knew the, the vow, didn't cut their hair. Samson, again, is the one that we look to uh, as the one that never cut his hair. Um, not cutting your hair meant I'm on a mission. I'm going to serve God. I, I'm going to serve the Lord. And so the hair was a witness to people around. Samuel, interestingly, was, was a Nazarite too. Samuel um, was a baby when his mother Hannah thought of the highest calling in her son's life. Remember, she couldn't have a baby, she couldn't have a baby. All of a sudden, God gives her a baby. I mean, she is so, God, you're so gracious to me. I'm going to give him back to you. And so little Samuel was committed to the Lord with this in. Hannah's heart and mind. Here's the verse behind me on the screen, 1 Samuel 1. Then she, that's Hannah, made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And notice what she says, and no razor shall come upon his head. She's talking about the Nazarite vow. I'm going to commit him to you. I won't cut his hair from, from his birth because I want him to serve you. I want him to be dedicated to you. It's a beautiful truth there. And like I said, Samson being the most infamous Nazarite as well. But Samson, Samson broke it, that vow so many times. We find Samson in Judges chapter 14. He's in a party drinking with a bunch of people. There are women given to him, and he does what he wants. And then he also uh, drinks wine, and then he goes to the ultimate, which is really the third condition here for the Nazarite. He actually touches a dead body. So he, Samson, although his hair's long, he's doing everything else wrong. I mean, Samson, he was a train wreck when you study the life of, of him. But the third, the third condition was no touching dead bodies, it's verse 6 and 7, but here let me show you this Judges passage really quick that shows this. Judges 14, verse 8, Samson turned aside to see the carcass of a lion. So there's a dead lion, and he saw a swarm of bees and honey that were in the lion, and he touched the carcass to get the honey. So he did what was forbidden. He drank, he was partied, he did everything, and finally got involved with his woman, Delilah, and his hair was cut and lost all his strength. So you, you know all about him. But the, again, the hair, the long hair, a public display of the Nazarite vow. Notice verse 6, all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. So you can't touch a dead body. You can't cut your hair. You can't drink any alcohol. That's, these are the things that 
separated the Nazarite from these things. Verse 7, he shall not make himself unclean even for his father and mother. So if his mom died, he was not to be a part of the embalming. He could not, the Nazarite could not touch a dead body, even if it was his mother, his father, his brother, or his sister. Why? Because his separation to God is on his head. When you make a vow, you're, you're full on. You can't go back on that vow. Remember what Jesus said in our study in the Gospel of Mark? That if you're not willing to give up your family, your sisters, your brothers for me, then you're not worthy of me. Remember? This is kind of the, the Old Testament of that. When you make a full-on commitment to the Lord, he must come first. No one else is first. And in this vow, these three different conditions that they were to, to carry out in their lives, the third being they cannot touch a dead body, even though it was a close relative. Dead bodies were off limits to these people. Separation from death was the uh, what, was what, what was being taught. Death always brings forth sin. The Nazarite had to stay away from death and from sin. And then verse 8, all the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. In verses 9 through 12, we see renewing a broken vow. If anyone dies, very suddenly beside him. So you're a Nazarite. You're walking down the road and somebody dies right next to you. They're falling over. And you grab them, you know, and they die in your arms. And defiles his consecrated head. Then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So on the eighth day, the former Nazarite would come to the... the remember the tabernacle? You've got to keep that in mind. We studied that. He goes into the courtyard. The priest would lead him to the altar, the brazen altar, the big altar where the animals were sacrificed. And then beyond that was the lava. Remember, the priest would wash, and then they would go into the tabernacle itself. But this is a public ceremony. He's defiled. Somebody died next to him, and he couldn't run, I guess, you know. And, and, or his commitment, his vow was broken. Maybe he got drunk. I don't know. He, he, his vow stopped. So he's got to cut his hair. And then on the eighth day, He's going to take the offering, the turtle doves, and, and start the vow over again. That's what he's doing here. He's kind of restarting the, the vow. And the priest, verse 11, shall offer one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering, and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head on that same day, the shaving of his head, and then don't touch it anymore. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in his first year as a trespass offering, but the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. So if you broke the vows in Nazarite, there was always a way. God's providing a way to get back to that place. Again, I think of the New Testament believer. We're saved by grace, not by works. But when we sin, 1 John 1, 9, we do what? We confess to the Lord. And as you confess to the Lord, he makes you clean again. And we need to be doing that. I don't know about your life. I need to be doing that daily. Thought life, actions, whatever it might be, we need to confess those things to the Lord on a daily basis. In this case, the Nazarite had a way to be rededicated to the Lord. He had to go through all of these, these things to be dedicated back to the Lord. It just, it's just a reminder to all of us how important it is to stay close to the Lord and not wander into sin. James wrote this in chapter 1, verse 27. He said, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And then here's the important phrase. I want you to see it behind me. To keep oneself unspotted from the world. What do you think that means? It's my responsibility just as it was for the Nazarite to keep oneself holy, committed, consecrated. It's up to you. Lord, why did I do that again? Well, you did it again. You did it. God didn't do God never leads you into a place of sin. Satan is the tempter, right? He's the enemy. 
Don't ever ask God, why did you lead me into that temptation? God tests you and I. A test is different than a temptation, by the way. Temptation of sin is always done by Satan. And it's always, uh, it wells up inside of me and you because of our flesh. It's our flesh. It's the weakness of our flesh. Rather than walking in the spirit, we walk in the flesh. And so we're weak and we, we, we just stumble right into this sin. We're led like the proverbial carrot, you know, on the end of the, the little pole and the donkey or the horse following it. That's Satan does that. He leads us. He lures us into sin. God will allow something in our life, a trial, a sickness, an illness, a financial trial. He allows those things in our life. It helps us to understand who we are in Christ. Do we really have a lot of faith? Do we believe in the Lord? Are we going to trust in Him? Or are we just going to fall apart? And we do fall apart. Christians fall apart. What is that? Well, it just helps you understand. You need to be in the Word more. You need a bigger support structure, more Christians around you to, to help you when you're in that difficulty. You need the church. You need your friends. You, you need more prayer. Verse 13, the ceremony here of fulfillment. This is really, really interesting, and it's a public ceremony here. Verse 13, now, this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. The vow of the Nazarite ended really this public, it ended in this public ceremony in this public place at the tabernacle. It's kind of a public meeting place. It's a, it's a very public place. And so there's people around, milling around the outside of the tabernacle. Uh, the tent, the curtains, the veil. And so he was to come to that tent of meeting there, the tabernacle of meeting. The vow um, that he made in the three areas, you know, not cutting your hair, not drinking, not touching a corpse, was public. It was, there was accountability. People were watching you, just like people watch you, Christian. Did you know your wife's watching you, your husband, your kids, your neighbors? As a Christian, they're watching you. How strong is your commitment to Christ? Are you dedicated to the Lord? Do you love the Lord with all your heart? Do you separate yourself from sin so that people around you can see? And that's really what's happening here. The, the Nazarite would go to, to this public. Uh, he would look like he was committed through his hairdo. He would act like it. He wouldn't drink or t touch a corpse. He was separate or separated from uh, the rest of the people. And then he would make this sacrifice, and then the, the priest here would offer it. Verse 14, he shall present his offering to the Lord, a male lamb in its first year. So at the end of his commitment, a week, a month, a year, 10 years, you come back to the temple, you shave your head. On the eighth day, you go in there, and, and this is what you would do. You offer this offering, the lamb without blemish, a burnt offering, a sin offering of a ram, and a peace offering. Verse 15, a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of white fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil and their grain and offering with their drink offerings. Now, think about this for just a moment. Does anyone but me see what's going on here? There, there's a barbecue happening here where they bring this to the priest. And the priest, what he's going to do, he's going he's to butcher, and then he's going to barbecue, and they're going to bring bread and oil and all these things. They're going to feast together. This is what we see in the offerings. We, sometimes we see the offerings as this time of, of just blood and gore, and we, we recoil at, at all of that you know, animal death. But... I would say that most of you would grab a piece of beef from the local grocery store, throw it on your barbecue, and call your family and friends over. Maybe even if you're vegan, you can get a vegan burger. And you call your friends over, and you have a feast. And you, all the feasts of the Jews were always celebratory. They're celebrating. The priest and his family would take some of this offering for their own benefit, for their family to eat as well. Then the priest shall bring, verse 16, them before the Lord and offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. 
And he shall offer the ram and the sacrifice peace offering to the Lord with a basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall also offer its grain offering and its drink offering. So the priest would complete the offering. So I'm just saying that in the seriousness of this offering, there was also celebration. Just like with us when we came together last Sunday night and we came to the Lord's table and we remembered what Jesus, his commitment to us was. His body was broken. His blood was shed for remission. And we celebrate that communion. This is kind of like the Old Testament picture of, of a New Testament communion. And it's with God. We're doing it with God. It's, it's a beautiful meal. It's a beautiful view here. In verse 18, again, one of the most important parts of the ceremony was shaving of the Nazarite's head. Then the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, shall take the hair from his consecrated head and put it on the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So this offering of his hair, the hair meant I'm a Nazarite, I'm a Nazarite, month after month, year after year, I'm a Nazarite. And now they cut the hair off and they offer it as a burnt offering underneath the, the offering there to the Lord. It was significant to them. And some of you like your hair. It's a man buns, and now it's a man bun. I say cut it off and put it in the fire. I'm going to offend somebody, sorry. <laughs> but the idea, the idea of the hair offered to the Lord, it's, it really is a beautiful thing. It symbolized the vow that the Nazarite had just made, and he's completed it. So he offers it to the Lord. Verse 19, and the priest shall take the boiled shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake from the basket and one unleavened wafer and put them upon the hands of the Nazarite after he has shaved his consecrated hair. And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Remember the wave offerings in, in Leviticus? The wave offerings were always, they're public. It was the priest taking the first fruits of the, the um, wheat or barley harvest in the sheaf. And, you know, the stalk of grain and the head of grain all together and bundled up. And you would take, the priest would take it up and he would hold it up, this, this massive sheaf of grain and all the people would go oh look at that the farmer john really grew a great crop god blessed him this year and they wave it before the lord it's a public display so they're worshiping god this is a public display the nazarite vow was a very public thing and it was done there at the tabernacle of meeting the priest verse 20 would wave them and wave the offering before the lord and they are holy for the priest together for the breast of the the wave offering, and the thigh of the heave offering. After that, the Nazarite may drink wine. Okay, so when he, he's done with his vow, now he could drink wine. Again, they're having a barbecue. It's a beautiful thing. The, the, the drinking of wine would indicate the end of the vow, right? He's not going to go touch a body. Cut his hair, took a drink. His vow was complete. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows to the Lord, verse 21, the offering for his separation. And besides that, whatever else his hand is able to provide according to the vow which he takes. So he must do according to the law of his separation. Now, how does that apply to you and I as Christians? You know, we are saved not by works. We're saved by what? By grace alone, through faith alone. We don't earn our salvation. We don't work for our salvation. Nobody is saved by making or keeping a vow because salvation is a gift of God. It's for all who believe and put their faith. It's a reward. Salvation is a reward for those who surrender their lives. In the Old Testament, the vow maker was surrendering, surrendering his life, surrendering her life and being committed and dedicated to serve God in that special way. As a New Testament believer, my joy is a lifetime. I, I don't think of being a Christian as a week or a month or a fad. To me, it's all about loving God and walking with the Lord and pleasing the Lord. It's a lifetime of surrender, time and talent and your treasure, everything that would glorify the Lord. 
So surrender is really the key. Glorifying God is, is really the key. The Nazarite, it, it seems to be a type in the New Testament, again, uh, of the child of God who gives their life to separate, dedicated, stepping away from sin, staying away from things that would defile, a life dedicated and holy to serve God. Paul says this in Philippians 3, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, we can all do that. We can all live separate. We can all press forward. We're living in evil days. We're living in evil times. We live in an evil world. I mean, all you have to do is watch TV this week. The, the Democratic Party laughing and rejoicing over killing babies just is evil. It's evil. Pastor Lee, you shouldn't be political. I'm just stating a fact. I'm not saying Republicans are good. I'm just saying that policy is evil. That comes from Satan. It's awful. But that's the world we live in. God wants us to separate ourselves from evil, and he wants us to push on and press forward, as Paul says, to the goal and the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. I mean, so let me ask this question concerning this. Do people around you know that you're a Christian? I mean, not because we have a certain hairdo or a tattoo. I'm not against any of those things. Be who you are. But do people know that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? Do your neighbors know? Do your coworkers know? Maybe it's time for you to take a serious vow, to consecrate yourself, to dedicate yourself to Jesus Christ, to new and afresh. The end of this text here is, is wonderful. Verse 22, it's, it's God's blessing. I first noticed that it, Moses and Aaron... The priests are to bless the people here. Notice this. And the Lord spoke to Moses. And he said, speak to Aaron and his sons. So you have Moses, Aaron, and his sons. Remember, they were the priests. Say, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. So this is God's specific way. He wants this blessing to be said, to be pronounced over his people. When I was growing up in, in Calvary Chapel, we used to sing this. Pastor Chuck was famous with a big smile on his face singing this. We'll, we'll, we'll make an attempt here in a moment. Look at verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Whenever I read that, I think, you know, singing that song, substituting the word you for thee. Pastor Chuck would sing, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance and upon thee and give you peace. Beautiful, beautiful blessing. I don't know how many times I heard Pastor Chuck sing that. We used to sing that here many, 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 many years ago. Remember, I started going to this church in 1979 when I was about this tall. But I love that. Think about the blessing. Think about this blessing. Three times, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. I think about the Trinity. Whenever I read this, I think that. The Lord. The Father is the Lord. The Son is the Lord. The, the Holy Spirit is the Lord. Here's a great verse. 2 Corinthians, put that one up, 3.17. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
The Lord is the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Again, you see that Trinity powerfully displayed in the Bible, Old and New Testament. The most famous verse, we studied it a few months ago in Mark 1. Here it is behind me on the screen. And immediately coming out of the water, when Jesus went to be baptized by the Nazarite, John the Baptist, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So you, have the, you have the Father's voice, you have the Holy Spirit coming down like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove, and then the Son, the Trinity. I love, I love that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Isn't that beautiful? Tonight, as we even leave this place, I just pray that the Lord would do that. I love the fact that the Lord smiles down upon his people, that God wants to bless, and he wanted his priest to specifically bless the people, to speak these words over them. May the Lord give you shalom, peace. It's my prayer for you, that the Lord would give you that peace, even tonight, wherever you find yourself. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord, may he give you peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I thank you for the wonderful truth of your word. I, I pray, Lord, that tonight you would just take this word, apply it, Lord, to our lives and help us as your children to be committed, to be dedicated, to be separate, just like this, uh, these people, the men and women that took the Nazarite vow. Let's pray, Lord, that you would pour out your blessings, Lord, upon our church, upon, upon our youth as they go away this weekend, upon our children in the children's ministry, young and old in this fellowship. Lord, may we know your blessing, your countenance, your face smiling upon us. And Lord, we'll give you thanks and we'll give you praise. And Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.